You are listening to the podcasts of Cedar Hills Community Church in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. My name is Kent. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, my main role is, I think, to lead and teach, and I think of myself as being inspiring, so chief inspiration officer. We're coming up with wacky new titles for all of our staff, so working on that one. Um, I'm curious, too, about a lot of different things. Today, I'm really curious about prayer, and I'd like you to just chat with your neighbor for a second if you're okay with that. Um, Do you think of yourself as a prayer, yes or no? And if you say yes, um, how much time do you spend praying? Just chat with your neighbor for a second about that. Are you a prayer? And if you are, how much time do you spend praying? Maybe you could add to that questions you have about prayer. Do you have any nagging questions about prayer? Okay, so now raise your hand if you're sitting next to someone who thinks they are a prayer. Are you sitting by someone who thinks they are a prayer? Okay, good. I'm hoping to dig into this a little bit by using some words from Matthew 6. So we're in this series, Life in the Vine. We're trying to look at the words of Jesus. We're focusing on the red letter words from the Gospel of Matthew. And we're just getting started on this. So we did Matthew 5 last week. We're going to look at Matthew 6 this week. So if you open up your, if you brought a Bible, open it up to Matthew 6. If not, grab a Bible out of the chair or open up your phone or your device, whatever you read your Bible on, to Matthew chapter 6. First book of the New Testament, Matthew 6. Before we listen to these words together, I want to offer you this prayer. The Lord be with you. Matthew 6, 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room Close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is God's word, and it's true, and we can rely on it. So I like to listen to kids pray, because when kids pray, they're always 
honest, usually it seems like, and sometimes they make some interesting on, uh, observations. So here's some honest conversations with God from kids. Here's the first one. Dear God, when mom makes leftovers, do I have to pray for the food again? Good, honest question, right? Dear God, did unicorns miss the ark? Too bad skunks didn't miss. Dear God, I need you to make my mom not allergic to cats. I really want a cat, and I really don't want to ask my mom to move out. (laughs) Dear God, my grandpa says you were around when he was a little boy. How far back do you go? (laughs) Dear God, I saw my big brother walking out of the shower on accident. God, can you erase that from my brain? (laughs) Dear God, when will my sister stop being annoying I'm down to my last patience. (laughs) Prayer is one of those things that it seems like anybody can do it, right? We say that prayer is talking with God. But when it comes to actually praying, many of us don't. Or at least we don't pray as much as we think we should. I was going to have you ask that question, but I didn't know if you would actually talk about it. Do you pray as much as you think you should? And when we do pray, we sometimes are unsure about it. We have questions. Are we praying correctly? Are we using the right words? Are we saying the right things? Is God listening? Can God hear me when I pray? Does prayer change things? Does it matter when I pray? These are the kinds of questions that everyone has. I think many of us have about prayer. And yet... The Bible seems very clear that we are supposed to be praying that if we are the kind of people who abide in the vine, if we live our life in the vine, then we will be the kind of people who pray. And in fact, this passage that we looked here, Matthew 6, 5, says, when you pray, and I find even that phrase interesting because it's not ever if you pray or if you ever get around to it or if you're thinking about it, maybe you want to pray. When you pray, don't pray like this, but pray like this. And the Bible is very clear about that. So I thought it might be helpful for us as we're thinking about life in the vine, abiding with Jesus. It might help us to think specifically about prayer and a particular kind of prayer, abiding prayer. And I want to share in the next couple of minutes just three components of abiding prayer that I think might help us all get a little better handle on it. So the first component of abiding prayer is repentance. Now, if you remember the context of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, is in the context of Jesus telling his disciples, this is what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is kind of a unique thing. And we want to hear what that's like and enter into it, because Jesus said some very important things about what the kingdom of like. And the kingdom of God starts with repentance. Jump back just to the next chapter, Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. This is what Jesus said. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. So the kingdom of God starting with repentance. And the kind of repentance that Jesus is talking about here is an absolute, total, complete, unconditional surrender to God. Saying, 
that we are sorry that we have not done what God wants us to do. We regret that, and we're turning to a new, into a new direction. Actually, the word that Jesus uses for repentance is about turning 180 degrees. So at one time, we are headed toward our own way. We're following the things we desire. We are not following the kingdom of God. And at some point, we recognize that. And repentance involves saying, I'm going to turn a completely opposite direction, and now I'm going to follow God. I'm going to turn away from the things that I know are wrong, and I'm going to turn toward the things of God to understand His kingdom and to follow His kingdom, to live in His kingdom. This is what repentance is about. But repentance isn't just about behavior. It's not just about my action. Because I can change direction sometimes for the wrong reason. I can be heading this way and I, I know it's wrong and so I, I'm feeling the pain of heading this, wrong, this way. So I'm going to turn away from that just to avoid the pain. Or I'm heading this way and I know it's wrong and I know you're all watching me so you're not going to approve if I turn this, if I continue in this way. So I change direction because I'm trying to get your approval. I can change direction for a lot of different reasons. Repentance isn't primarily about the behavior of changing direction. It's about the heart. It's about a heart that says, I don't just regret this because I got caught, I got busted, and now I feel regret for being caught. I change because it's wrong, and I'm going to go this direction because it's right. And the main change that God is trying to work in us is a change of heart. And that change of heart results in a change of behavior. Now, instead of pursuing my own interests, my own agenda, my own selfish desires, I am interested in God's agenda and God's desires. This is repentance. God's kingdom starts breaking into our lives with repentance. It's the first step toward abiding. And this leads to the next step, which is then response. Once I recognize that I've turned away from what's wrong and turned toward God, and I recognize God still loves me, God forgives me, now I have a response to that. My response is, I'm in relationship. God wants to be with me. God cares about me. God desires to abide with me. And I begin to realize then that prayer is not primarily transactional, Prayer is relational. Now, sometimes I think we make prayer overcomplicated, and that's because we're looking for some kind of formula, some kind of transactional formula. So we think that if I say the correct words, then God will give me what I want. If I pray enough, if I pray long enough, then God will give me what I want. If I do the right thing, then God gives me. God, in this model, is kind of like a vending machine, right? So if I just put the right amount into the vending machine and push B4, then I get the snack that I was hoping to get. Prayer is not transactional. Prayer is relational. Transactional prayer just makes it kind of a religious act. It may be praying, but it might be praying for the wrong reasons. Relational prayer is praying for the proper reasons. Jesus was warning us about this. I think this is part of what was going on in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus said this, When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners so they can be seen by other people. 
What's motivating their prayer? Is it a relationship with God? Truly, Jesus said, I tell you, they have received their reward already. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Prayer is not a formula. Prayer is a conversation. Prayer is relational. God wants to bless us, not because we get the words right, because we put enough time in. God wants to bless us because God loves us. This is the foundation for his kingdom breaking in. It's his love for us. Authentic prayer, then, is honest and open. And this, again, is where I think kids excel at prayer. Here's a few more examples of what I think are good, honest, authentic prayers. Dear God, thank you for the baby brother, but what I prayed for was a puppy. (laughs) Just telling God what's on your heart, right? Uh, Honestly. Dear God, is it true my father won't get in heaven if he uses his golf words in the house? (laughs) Good question. Something somebody wanted to know. Dear God, if you can't make me a better boy, Don't worry about it. I'm having a real good time the way I am. (laughs) Do we come to God with that kind of honesty and authenticity in response to his love for us? Not thinking we have to say exactly the right thing, get the wording exactly right, spend enough time in order for him to put out the result that I like, but to recognize that God wants to spend time with us. God is here. I love the image Leah shared. I don't have to look over my shoulder and wonder if God is there wanting to be with me. He wants to be with me. This is the thing about relationships. It's, um, there is a certain component about relationships that's, that's secret, that's private. And this is especially true if we're talking about love relationships or intimate relationships. When we love our significant other, we have some behaviors that are obvious. We show it. We talk about it, we share things together, we put pictures on Facebook, we hold hands, we kiss, sometimes even in public. This is how we show our relationship of love. But everything from our relationship with our significant other one is not public. Some of our relationship in our most intimate relationships is private. In fact, sometimes it seems odd when I'm online reading about certain people and their relationships with their loved one, and it's like they're oversharing. They're they're way too much disclosure. I don't really want to know that about your relationship because it's not really designed that way. A love relationship is designed for us to have something in common with our lover that nobody else gets to know about. Real love relationships have secrets with each other. I think this is the way it works. So some aspect of our relationship is just for the two of us, and there's some kind of trust that holds that in common, so we keep secrets. The same thing can be said about our relationship with God. If our relationship with God is a true love relationship, it's lived out in an intimate way so that there are some consequences of that relationship that you see publicly. It changes the way we live, the way we behave. It also means that there's some part of our relationship 
that remains private. It's between me and God. My relationship with God is not lived out in front of you so that I can show off, so that you can see how pious I am, so that you can go, what a great relationship that guy has with God. My relationship with God is lived out even publicly as an intimate relationship with someone who loves me deeply and who I love deeply. I think this is important because this is another part of the warning that comes in this passage. Jesus is saying, be careful how you live out your relationship with me so that you're not doing it as a show. That's not the kind of relationship God wants. Jesus made it very clear. This is what he said. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Our life in the vine is not a practice of righteousness for the sake of others. Our life in the vine is a relationship lived out intimately with the one who loves us and the one we love. This has implications, I think, even when we're praying in public. I don't think this passage bans public prayer, but it does give us a warning all of us who have opportunity to pray in public, we're not praying to you. And I know even I sometimes get tripped up by this. I'm thinking, i got to sound really good while I'm praying because you're listening to me. Are you the audience of the prayer? No. God is the audience of my prayer. So we pray to Him, and it's not about sounding pious or getting the words right. It's about, even in that setting, developing this intimate relationship. So I might have overcomplicated some things about this, but I I just felt like this is what Jesus is saying here in Matthew 6. Prayer is part of life on the vine, and we want to pray because we're in relationship with God. In the simplest form, it's a conversation between two lovers. In fact, one of the great theologians of the church, um, St. Augustine, described prayer this way. He says, true, whole prayer is nothing but love. That's it. Conversation between two lovers. God loves us, and so we respond and love God back. We pour out what's on our heart, and we listen to what's on God's heart. This is abiding prayer. And then the next step is repeat. So we come face-to-face with the kingdom of God, and we recognize we're not following the way God wants us to follow. We're not living our life in the kingdom as we should. We repent and turn a completely different direction. And then we respond when we discover that, oh my gosh, God loves us, and God has forgiven me. So now I'm in an intimate relationship with God who loves me, and so I pour out my heart to him about whatever's on my mind, whatever's on my heart, and I listen. And then I just repeat that over and over and over again. Every time I find that I'm not following God's way, I repent, I turn to God, I see he still loves me, he offers me forgiveness, I pour out my heart to him, he hears me, and then I listen to him talk back to me. This is abiding prayer. And one of our hopes in this series is that as we talk about life in the vine and abiding is that we don't just talk about it, but we also get to practice it, that we're going to experience it. And we found years ago that if we ever talk about practicing something we've done in a service, 
you're much more likely to do it if we actually do it together. So what we're going to do right now is practice some abiding prayer. I've got some helpers who are going to come up here and help with this. And this is how we're going to do it. We're going to um, sing a song that's a prayer. And then we're going to have some space for you to respond and pray. Then I'll lead us in some words of prayer. Then we'll sing the song. And then we'll repeat it. We're just going to do this several times. The picture here is the image of kids who are, again, completely honest and open in their prayer. They don't care who's watching them when they pray. They just pour it out there. A couple more examples. Dear God, it must be super hard to love all the people of the world, especially my brother. I don't know how you do it. That's the kind of prayer that comes when we just simply abide in God's presence. Dear God, please take care of my mommy, my daddy, sister and brother, my doggy and me. And oh, please take care of yourself, God. If anything happens to you, we're going to be in a big mess. Matthew 18, uh, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. So in these next moments, I'm hoping we can pray like little children and ask God to look into our hearts We can offer our hearts up to him and say, God, whatever's on our heart, we're going to tell you about it, and we're going to give you some space to do that. So let's start by um, singing this prayer song together. Forgive us our sins. Forgive us as we forgive those who sin against us. Help us to forgive our enemies, to love those who persecute us, and lead us not into temptation. God, transform our hearts. our hearts are full of. 
So God, we need to have our hearts transformed and renewed and made whole. Forgive us. Shape us. Guide us to seek after you like a treasure that's buried in a field. God, help us to sell all that we have to gain this treasure. This is the desire of our hearts. on us, wash us and cleanse us, give us hearts that are white as snow, give us new hearts, remove the heart of stone and give us hearts of flesh, God renew our spirits, help us to remain steadfast and true, accomplish the good work that you desire. today's message from Cedar Hills Community Church. 
For more information about our church or how to support our ministry, visit www.cedarhillscr.org.